to musicians having coffee and talking about stuff, as the as the cup Musician. says. Oh yeah. Who, to, today who it's we Steve got? Morse. We got Steve Morse. How you doing, Steve? Hey, everybody. Doing good. All right, man. How's everything down in Florida? Oh, it's crazy. Uh, we had a, a pipe break and uh, flood in the house. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! That's what I'm doing. I just tore apart. I just tore up the linoleum and the carpet and everything, and putting dehumidifiers in. And oh yeah, we're getting our water from a hose right now. Oh my! Well, yeah. So what did MacGyver figure out? How to? Did you MacGyver it? Well, yeah, yeah. I I got. I closed all the valves and and isolated. I found what you know. Unfortunately, it's a main feeder line that feeds a bunch of stuff under the house. But oh, wow. I closed all the valves and then uh, went and got some fittings to go into the water softener from a hose. So we got. I could have done uh, that, man. I could have done that. Well, first I pressurized the hot water line to make sure it wasn't that. Of then course. Then pressurized the cold cold water line. Yes, I. I... Anyway, <laughs> Steve is very but, adept with. I mean, well, anybody who flies airplanes, right? It's, a, and you you have like a whole hangar and a whole. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you have what was that thing? You had that whole giant like electric scaffolding thing, and I mean, you do gnarly <laughs> stuff. You no, farm. Just... You farm that place, right? Uh, I do everything around here. Yeah, but that's what that's what I know. That's what I know. Our Not place only is does he farm. is an amazing guitarist, but he's also quite the farmer and MacGyver. For those who don't know, MacGyver was a series uh, in in America. That's right. You got to explain that. That's right. Right. Not everybody's going to get that reference, right? Uh, and the, it was a show about a guy named MacGyver that could like basically fix everything, like. He would figure out a way. They get in some terrible situation, and with like chewing gum and some wire, he would figure out a way to get the plane the plane to fly or right, that that kind of thing, right? Yeah, or they'd be trapped in in a thing that was filling up with water, and they had to figure. Well, anyway, back to music. Yeah, or back to whatever. It's it's musicians talking oh. about stuff, so it oh, can be okay. whatever. I thought it was about I thought it was about music stuff. Well, I mean, you know, we can talk about music stuff. We can talk about anything, man. So what is the moss on the trees down there? What is all that moss? Well, it's it's a humid environment. And when I was a Cub Scout, and Cub Scouts, for those of you who don't know about MacGyver, <laughs> Cub Scout was like this thing, you know, where kids would get together, and it was all boys. The girls had Girl Scouts. Right. And the Cub Scouts would get together and... and it sounded really cool. You get a uniform and and um, get to, you know, go out in the woods and make campfires and stuff. Yeah. You know, kids in their single-digit years, like nine-year-old kids, love to set fires in the woods. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wanted to be a Cub Scout. Then, it, then I found out you had to make a scrapbook and stuff like that. And that oh. sounded like school. That sounded like school to me. Yeah, that's lame, man. But anyway, in, in, in Cub Scouts, you learn that, uh, you know, you get more moss on the north side in North America. Uh, and it turns out it grows better in, in the shade. There's more shade on the north side of a tree or a rock or boulder. 
I did not know that, Steve. Well, that's how you find your way if you're in the woods and it's overcast. You can't see the sun. Your, your magnet's thing, your magnet's gone. Are you, you, you don't have anything to magnetize to make a compass. You don't have a compass. Your cell phone's dead. No GPS. You, uh, you can follow the moths. Yeah, but if you want to go north, you follow the moths. Okay. And face the moth. <laughs> face the moss if you want to go south. Okay. Well, now I, next time I'm dropped in the middle of the Everglades, I'll know. I did not. I didn't know that. See, Steve. Steve knows things. Normal people. And don't if know. you're dropped in the middle of the Everglades, um, there's a lot of uh, pythons and boas that people have right released into the wild. <laughs> 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 but alligators we're used to we have them all everywhere right yeah yeah I, I you know i love those old songs there were there was a period of time isn't it interesting in popular music there'll be periods of time where there'll be a bunch of songs about like sort of a similar topic or something that nobody really sang about before but like oh one person did a song about alligators eating people oh I think I'll do a song about alligators eating people. And suddenly there's like two or three songs. You know, you you get you're you're old enough, you'll remember Poke Salad Annie, right? Yeah, that that was that Jerry Reed? No, Jerry Reed was Amos Moses. Oh, Amos Moses. Yeah. And but it turned out Jerry Reed was a heck of a of a picker. I I guess yeah, finger picker. Yeah, but Nashville my finger finger picker. Yeah. Really, yeah. really great feel. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, speaking of alligators eating people, I love those songs, man. Nothing like singing about alligators eating people to get you going. You know, who needs who needs a love song when you can say gators got your granny? Chomp, chomp. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the the Battle of New Orleans where they 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 ran out of or the cannon they melted the cannon down shooting at the British. Uh-huh. And uh, they they found an alligator and put the cannonball in the alligator and uh, Is put that the right? gunpowder on the other. I'm familiar. I'll have to check that one out. It's in the song. It's in it's, the song. It's a song. It's it. There's some la- there's some level of fantasy there. I'm sure. <laughs> using an alligator to, to fire. Uh, <laughs> See, this is musician. Now, this is musicians really talking about stuff, right? I mean, we. Yeah, on tour, you you run out of talking about the last show or whatever quickly. You know, you you there's some of us do. Some oh, I I I felt that. (laughs) Some some can go on for some Some, time. (laughs) Sometimes there's enough details that need to be discussed that one might have to go on. I don't know. I. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's it's funny how different people are. You know, um, it must be really interesting all the bands that you've been in, all the all the different dynamics of the of the people. Does it ever make any sense to you? To, uh, I've never been able to really understand human yeah, dynamics it d- very it well. It does make sense, and you know, you are an incredibly diplomatic guy in the band setting. You're always keep it cool and, you know, try to bring up relevant points. 
which is totally wrong. No, no, it's, it's great. And that, that I think, I, I think you're, you're one of the most even keeled guys in, you know, when, when there's a animated discussion going on. Oh, you have we had you know, animated discussions? Is that, is that like a cartoon? What? Is that? <laughs> no, is that like, it's not like a cartoon. It's, it's, it's uh, like a, more like an argument. Oh, but, oh, I thought you were talking about SpongeBob or something. No. <laughs> I've been my, hanging my out with step- my grandkids too much. Sorry. My stepdaughter watches SpongeBob, which I totally approve of because it's, it's a, Wonderful, um, wonderfully written. Yeah, there's a lot of really funny was, stuff. Yeah, 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 crazy stuff. Yeah, like the crazy animation. You know, like, like when somebody's supposed to be dwindling down to nothing or something, they become like this thing. You're like, wow, that's insane. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, back to animated fun. conversations. Yeah. yeah, is that one of the one of your trademarks? Is that you? keep it cool and and say you kind of like you'll see what one person's saying the other person's saying and and try to find some kind of common bridge how about this guys why don't we try the first part in a and the second part in f sharp or or something like that you know you'll you'll keep steering the thing back to what can we do together and that's a wonderful quality for anybody to have in any situation, but for a band member, you have to be able to do it. You have to be able to um, I, I don't know, sort of I mean, have respect for the other, the other people as, as people and sure. realize that it is a team sport yeah. in our writing sessions. Yeah. And, you know, and for everybody, Neil a lot of times will bring in a song idea like here Here's a song I wrote in 10 minutes. You know, while I was thinking about the song, the other song I wrote this morning, which <laughs> is similar in key to the one that I wrote while I was eating breakfast. <laughs> it's a, okay, he writes a lot of songs is what I'm trying to say. Right. <laughs> He'll bring in an idea thinking that his idea is going to sound like it does in his head. And, and uh, okay, so... We start with that, and then uh, the famous story is when he went up to get his coffee or, or whatever. Yeah, we're in his studio, and uh, I'm like, I, I think we need a different chorus here. Uh, let's try something, and with Casey, and and we came up with a different chorus idea in a different key, way different key, and. Uh, so I think, it, comes back. I think it might have been like, I'm your fire, your fortress. It might have been that one. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, oh, okay. Well, anyway, yeah. Neil comes back with a coffee. Right, what's up, guys? What what happened to my course? <laughs> I said, get a coffee, lose a course. Right. Now, that, that was referring to the fact that things happen quickly in those settings. Yeah. But back back to the human element and and uh I think this is one of the most important things that I could pass on to other musicians is that personality and how you blend and how you show respect for the other people 
is very, very, very. You know, yeah. somebody who says, okay, I'm only 15 minutes late for rehearsal. Okay. Well, there's four other guys in the room. Guys or girls. Oh, you know, come on. Uh, for the people in the room, that's 15 minutes. That's a, an hour of somebody else's time. You just blew off because it was too much trouble. You could do that once. You can do that twice. You can do that a few times. But if you start doing it all the time, then pretty soon everybody else shows up late. Right. And this whole, the whole thing of, you know, I'm part of this this uh, group that, you know, I guess the, the respect level for what's been said goes down a notch when everybody starts saying, well, that's not going to happen because they're always late or that they're, that's not going to happen because he said he was going to do this by today, but we know it's not going to happen. Right. Then pretty soon everything gets real lax. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you make, man, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm like five minutes late, but let's, let's get started, you know, and show, show that you value the other people's time. Or when somebody gives you something to do for the next rehearsal and you do it to the best of your ability, I learned this and, and, it, and I can, I can play in everything, but I have one, one idea for what would make it easier for me, and I think sound better, then that's going, now you're showing respect for the other people, but you're contributing. You're, and you're contributing on a level where you're, uh, I guess you're trying to make things better and better sure. for everybody. Yeah. So that's what, that's kind of what you, that's the level that you need to be at mm -hmm. to successfully be in a band you know if you show up late and don't really care and yeah whatever let's just, i'm just here to play come on come on let's just play and and it's real lax like that yes you can be in a band but that's not the formula for success that's you know you can you can get lucky you can buy a lottery ticket and get lucky but if you want to create your own luck and have luck follow you good luck follow you then be the guy that goes the guy or person or whatever that goes above and beyond, shows respect for other people, and does the work. Does yeah. the work, and then does the extra credit questions. Right. And is prepared. And, and Neil Morris is it's the worst guy to talk about this, because he doesn't even have to try to do the extra credit questions. <laughs> he just like, well, yeah, I did that, but I, you know, I, I wrote a bridge in a, in a, a middle... And I'm like, oh, great. Now, now I got to do a bunch of work in order to make Neil unhappy by changing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Steve. That's very kind. <laughs> Funny and kind of all, you to say yeah. all that. Um, no, you're, I, you're I, a very, you're a very fast writer. And, and I, I really enjoyed that, that, that time we did our one-on-one -on -one thing, you know, here. Yeah. Well, here. Yeah, right what a great, here. what a great thing that was. You know, what happened with me that time, and that was something that I really felt the Lord in because I wouldn't normally just do that. Um, what I mean is, uh, Bill Evans, a mutual friend of ours, he he, we'd been trying to get together to collaborate. This was in like two thousand eight or something like that, and. Um, We'd been he he had talked to both of us about collaborating and 
I don't, I don't know. If, uh, I think when we got together, we found out maybe it was a bit of like a blind date where he tells one person, oh, this person really wants to date you. And the, it tells the other person that person really wants to date you. <laughs> like when we got together, it was like, oh, yeah, well, he told me that you really wanted to write with me. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to write with him. And I think it was I think he was he was setting us up, which is wonderful. Well, well, I think he he had the idea that it was going to be you, I, and Carrie Lipgren together writing oh, as, as yes, a trio. Yes, that's right. I remember and, now. And Carrie had, had just had a stroke. Yeah. And and so uh, we, we weren't able to do the writing with Carrie, so it was you and I that got together. And yeah. it turned out to be uh, wonderful because you're, you know, like, you were, what about this? What about this? And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about that? And, and, and it was like this furious um, yeah, writing session. It was Remember only two while, days. I, said, I think it was only two days, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But and, I, uh, Bill called me and said, I know you guys have been trying to get together, but I talked to Steve, and he has he has two days off this week. If you'll, if you'll fly down there and drive up to his house, I think you guys could spend a couple days writing. And I really felt inside like I needed to do that. And I'm so glad that I did. It was such a wonderful couple days, just you and I alone in, in your studio. And we wrote the wound up writing the framework of quite a few of the songs on the first Flying Colors yeah. album. Yeah, you. it was like drinking from a firehouse. Because I mean, I'm used to you know, this slow, methodical kind of thing where, all right, I like that idea. Now I'm going to see how many different ways I can frame that and see which way I like best. Right. He was like, Hey, I'm down the block. You want to catch up? <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> and then I would stop. All right, Neil, I, I I think we've got something here. I let me let me experiment with some other chord changes and stuff. And and uh, oh, Steve, I I'm in the next uh, zip code. Could you come down here and meet me? <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about this moss, by the way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was really, that was great. And it was really great, you know, uh, just, you know, there's, when you when you get into songwriting and, and writing music together, it's just natural, it's very natural to get into some pretty deep water, I feel like, you know, when Casey and I are working on lyrics together, you know, it's like, I don't know, you would just wind up talking about some really important core things and, and uh I really enjoyed those those couple days, man. It was great. Yeah, one one of the coolest things for me was seeing how relaxed you were about just singing nonsense words or vowel sounds that, that stream of consciousness lyrics that that just came to you instantly, and those ended up not usually being the lyrics. Right, but sometimes you you would get used to singing this vowel sound, yeah, and and that 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 would be like something you you, you aim for you in case, yeah. Would, I think better better than walking away was like that. It was like no no walking yeah. away, right? So I knew we wanted an A sound at the end, but it's just it's in in the same way, Steve. You would just blow, you know, you you blew my mind then, and you you constantly blow my mind the way. 
the way that the things that just come to you also that are, you know, uh, just, you know, you'll just improvise something that I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of, I guess it just depends on the water that you swim in. And I think how, and it depends on how free you can get in that water too. You know, yeah, I think, I think being comfortable improvising is, um, and, and of course, knowing your theory and everything is part of being able to, to write and especially write at this sort of supersonic pace that sometimes happens, often happens with, with line colors. Yeah. You have to immediately, what, what's, what's all the logical possibilities? That's your theory. And then improv-wise, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling a melody, and and this is where I see the gears turn in, in your head. Is there like, you know, I see this is me being nil. I I I like that, but I I I hear it a little differently. And then you put your hands on the keyboard and play without thinking about it, without rehearsing it, without trying it and seeing what comes out. You just instantly this connection between what you're hearing in your head and the keys and uh that's born of lots and lots of improvisation time yeah yeah sure when you you know i don't just a hour ago or something i was driving home and you know i just start hearing this idea and, uh, you know, I walk in to grab a guitar and, you know, get my phone to just lay it down. And I already know pretty much how to play it from what I'm hearing. You know, I mean, yeah. in the same way, I mean, that's the same way that it works when when you are working with Deep Purple and you guys are trading riffs back and forth. Right. Right. You hear you hear Don play a riff. Right. And you, then you 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 know how to do it. Right away. A lot of people, that's just like insane magic, right? But to you, it's like the water you swim in, I would imagine. Yeah, but sometimes I mean, I have to make a crude approximation of it. Say if he's doing uh, something, well, yeah, I can hear the tonality. So I know the tonality, and right. by practicing, you know which notes are going to fit that. So you, your choice of notes is already set. Yeah. You've got that. Now, if he's doing that and playing outside, like he's playing a tritone away from the root, then that that strains your your sort of brain and hearing a little bit more. And if he then goes down another whole step from there, uh, and then resolves it to, you know, with some kind of whole tone thing, well, okay, th these have to be familiar. Uh, not patterns, but but they have to be familiar harmonic, yeah. Uh, things enough for your head to hear it, analyze it, your fingers respond, and to me, what I was th what I would think is, uh, you know, um, a, a key change. You know, like which which mode works for that, which mode works for that, and. Then you, you have to Steve, set you, your subconscious up with that and then forget about it and then try to incorporate the melody that that uh, would be a logical answer to what he just did. Wow. 
But you don't know anything about key changes, Steve. I think that sometimes a chorus can be more interesting <laughs> if it's not in the same key. I'm sorry. Oh, you you know, you've really changed my writing. You you know, every I, I'm sure you've found this that everybody that you work with that you have a positive experience with uh, changes you. You know, it changes. Wait, wait, what? Expands. Why do you qualify that with positive experience? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I was going to say no, go everybody, on, go on, go on. everybody that you ever work with, but I mean, uh, you've definitely uh, changed. Um, and by the way, you don't know this, but you are talked about like when when I'm writing with the Neil Morse band. Sometimes we'll 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 get to a point, and I'll go like. We need a Steve Morse key change for this chorus. We need to go, which means you need to go to the most unlikely key that somehow works, and then you and then you need to get back in a way that has magic. That you know, um, like uh, th that one I was singing earlier is a classic example of. I think it's in E, and then the chorus starts on maybe C minor. I'm your fire, your fortress, I think. And then what's great is it go when we discovered, and that's that that's what's so much fun about collaborating, right? So Casey's singing, and then he goes, "Loving you forever in a day." When he hits that note, you do your your original riff that you started yeah. that started the whole song, and now that note is now the minor third of the original key. And everybody just kind of goes, oh, man, that's cool. That is cool. Yeah, I, re I remember that. And I, re I remember how cool it sounded with with the feel we had set up. You know, it was kind of like a funky. That was the feel for the, the whole verse. Yeah. But then Casey was like, huh, uh, sounds like something. My older uncle would have done <laughs> way Dude. long time ago. I don't <laughs> <think> he <laughs> says that. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. But it, it, that's that's me paraphrasing. You know what was in his mind. It's like, <laughs> what you imagined was in his mind. You know that that was cool. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about? Well, he came out and said a few things, but, but no, he, he he just he wanted to get away from. I think he used the phrase "time stamped." You're like we had we had to say. You know, it's, it's Steve's riff is 1970s. <laughs> oh, time okay. Stamps. Did he actually say that? I don't remember. He didn't say 1970, but he said, I feel like it's sort of time stamped. You know, with, huh. In other words, we we're setting up, setting it up with, I guess, a, you know, a funky rhythm riff. And that, I guess... You know, for younger kids, they were used to the more, I mean, grunge was like early, the early days. Right. And for us, grunge was, you know, remember that weird period of time when <laughs> it was just part, that was just part of our musical experience. But, right. you know, for a younger person, you know, that, that could have been like, I remember listening to grunge and it was not that cool, but then, you know, more modern stuff came in. Yeah. And modern is a real relative term. When you hear and study stuff from, you know, medieval 
times to medieval now. times yeah well that was a yeah that was a show I, that I, they used to have i like i still like renaissance music a, a lot and yeah it's really your your uh your music's very influenced by that the first piece that i heard um I'm sorry to be come be so late to the party on the Steve Morse band, uh, but that that piece I was at Moby Disc Records on Ventura Boulevard and and that um, the the one that you so kindly played at Morse Fest the man that's such a beautiful piece. It's very it has a Renaissancey feel to it. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I guess yeah, I'm definitely influenced by that. By the way, your keyboard player did an amazing job of just walking in. Oh, and, Bill Hubauer, yeah. Don't worry, I'll I'll just I'll just learn this difficult uh two-handed part, you know, counterpoint part for one performance one time. <laughs> yeah, for a Bill's band that's amazing. Not, He's for amazing. a band that's not even gonna pay me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I, I, so I heard that in Moby Disc, and I said, "What is that?" And they said, "Oh, it's this new Steve Morse Band album." And I, so I bought it. And then you guys were playing in Redondo Beach at the Strand, I think it was called. Do you remember that gig? I remember playing the Strand. I mean, yeah. we, that was that was one of the places we used to. Yeah, I went down there and saw you guys. You and Dave were. So wait a minute. That. There was two sales in California. You were saying right. you were one of them. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a great record, man. That was uh, Wings Over America. No, it was, uh, what's the name? Coast to Coast. Coast to Coast. Yes. We moved to California because I was going to be a, a writer. The manager for Kansas was doing a lot of movies as a musical director. I said, okay. oh, man, if you move out here, we, we can get you set up. And I really always wanted to do that, you know. Be, be a real writer but it turns out you know i live too far away i wanted to be a remote place mm. and uh i was flying my little plane to la to santa monica get a rental car and it, it was i thought that was good enough but they wanted like somebody right there somebody could be there and you know come down and edit this part and if you were going on gigs you you just wouldn't they, they didn't want to work with they wanted you know the the, the writer ranger to always be on call so all right that whole thing didn't work out for a lot of reasons and so we were moving back to to uh, the east coast and I, I was building a house without me being there in florida oh my because yeah and you know in california for the price of the fees that come to you in one batch of mail oh this is the New regulation says you have to pay this fee for owning this. And, you know, you have an airplane, you have to pay this fee. And here's this fee. With that amount of fees, I could build a house in Florida. Right. <laughs> Call somebody, hey, would you build me a, a cheap house in Florida? So I was doing that. But I also made a, a studio building. It wasn't ready. So I started the album in my makeshift studio in California. Mm. and then got a rental car a rental truck and drove you know 3500 miles to florida unpacked it into the 
house, the studio wasn't done. So I couldn't put anything in there. And so I, I just put all my recording equipment in the garage. And so there I was in the garage. Now finish this. I had no place to put the amps, you know, to, to mic them. So I put them in this uh, trailer that I had. I had a six by 12 trailer from the old Dregs days. Really? Yeah. And, and packed that with blankets and everything. But I could only record my guitar during the day because it was still, you could hear the guitar. Yeah. Loud. You know, because you have to turn up the, turn up the, the amp head to get it going good. Yeah. So that was how I was finishing the album. Wow. And yeah, a funny thing happened. My, my son was a toddler then. And, you know, he'd crawl into the garage from the house and uh, he, he could stand up and uh, kind of stood up on next to the studer. And there was all these lights, you know, there's 16 channels up on top, eight on the bottom. And if you turn these knobs, they would ch change color. Oh, right. As, yeah. they went, uh -huh. as they went from playback into record ready. Mm -hmm. So he put eight tracks into record ready while I was doing something. I went to punch him apart and he raised some of the drums. Right. So, so that, that, that kept me busy. Yeah. But back. it was still worth it to see my son. <laughs> yeah. That was, that's back when, before when there was no undo. Oh yeah, that was well. There was there was no one to. Yeah. It was just this this reel of tape, and uh, you could get us, you could splice things, but there there was you had to really commit yourself to you know, you know, like you're scrubbing the tape on the heads to find the spot yep. to cut and replace. I remember. I remember. Anyway, it's a great record. I, sounds like it was pretty difficult to make, but man, I love that record. I think it's one of the best. It's such a well-written uh, guitar album. I mean, one of the best, I think. Wow. Well, thanks. I uh... the melodies are great. I can think of them right now. Anyway, yeah. I mean, it's really good and really a, lot, a good balance of exciting stuff to. Really melodic stuff. It's just excellent, excellent work, man. Well, yeah, that was. That's why we call it coast to coast. Right. That's why we call it coast to coast. Okay. All right. It literally was. <laughs> so what's happening with Deep Purple, man? Well, a lot of stuff's going on yeah? actually. Is not gigs. Not gigs. Is that what you're working on right now, or you said you were recording music? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it might be. I'm not supposed to talk about it. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. I don't want you to say anything you shouldn't say. And, yeah, I don't know why that is, but anyway, I'm working on stuff. It's marketing. And, yeah. Everybody wants to announce at the same time, you know, it, that's all it is. Maybe, maybe that's, yeah. maybe there's something like that. Yeah. But I work on music, you know, every day to some extent anyway, and I have to practice to I used to say to keep up my chops, but now it's to keep up with my chop. <laughs> Only one? <laughs> Singular? <laughs> you got one riff? Yeah, yeah, if I play that riff yeah. look, for an hour and a half. <laughs> hey, you were talking about working hard. Uh, Steve and both uh, Steve and Dave LaRue uh, are some of the most intense warm-up and practicers 
like backstage the whole time, man. You guys are just warming up. You're practicing. You're all the way up from, I don't know, hours before. It seems like four hours before. You guys are all the way up to when we go out, man. You guys are, uh, I really appreciate your work ethic. Well, part of that is self-preservation. And part of it is, you know, the, I guess the fact that you owe it to the people that have taken money out of her account to buy the tickets. Yeah. Taking the time, got a babysitter or, or got off work or travel for travel miles. Some tra- of them have, at, have, have flown right, to travel to the gigs yeah. Yeah. and then book the hotel and make this whole thing based on the fact that you're going to get up and do something that's going to touch their heart and soul. Yeah. And one thing you don't want to be thinking about is how do I play this? Or or this is a struggle to keep up with the tempo. Yeah. And not that we've ever had tempos that rush. No, ever. of course, we've never had that. <laughs> no, but some, sometimes we, yeah, sometimes we have really difficult uh, guitar and bass parts. Yeah. That... that we play live faster. And we used to do the same thing in the Drakes. Every band does where, you know, live things can go up a notch. Yeah. And so yeah. really, you have to be ready. And it, it's different from practicing improvising or practicing writing or anything like that. It's just it just getting getting ready to do a sprint on top of a, you know, a two-hour jog. Yeah, you, yeah. You, be able to, to whatever the tempo, whatever it is required of you, you have to be ready. And, uh, of and you course, have to Neil, know it. you have to know it a lot better than you think you do. I like the uh, Vladimir Horowitz used to say, you have to be, you have to be prepared two hundred percent because when you get on stage, you lose half. I've never heard that one, but I tell people you have to be able to play it ten times perfectly in a row before you can plan on doing it live perfectly that's a good rule of thumb and yeah if you play it 10 times and screw it up three out of ten well that's there's a good chance you're not you're not going to play it perfectly at the gig yeah and you you just get what you get at a gig you don't you don't get to go back and fix it right yeah and 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 there's so many distractions you know you don't you don't know if there can be some insane feedback in your monitor or, you know, uh, Oh, you know, I mean, I know that that never happens. Remember that gig we opened up the tour in Manhattan. Yeah. And was, it was that, that sort of a stand up theater and the sound was just, it was, it was like, there was, there was no pitch. There was no possibility of perceiving pitch to me. Right. It was, it was such a cacophony of, of reflections and and like you said, the sound and feedback and ringing. Yeah, woo, woo, um, yeah. And you, you have know, to be able and, to through all of that. You have to just be able to. You know, I do the same thing with lyrics. A lot of uh, young singers, some of them that I talk to, they they really struggle with remembering the words. I'm like, well, you need to rehearse the words like the guitar player is rehearsing his riffs. You know, I mean, I, you have to have it on the tip of your tongue 
And 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 the interesting thing is, I used to think that I would maybe be less creative or you know, I didn't want to be a robot, you know? Uh but the more you have it in your hands and on the tip of your tongue, the more you can deliver it to the people. It's um it's something oh, that I, I that I, I I learned quite late in life, really. I mean, I didn't I stepped up my game as far as being prepared to play live really uh in my fifties. Um, um I, I I used to be much more of like I guess because a lot of the people I liked, they seemed so casual, you know, like the Beatles and stuff. They seemed like just a bunch of fun guys that just got up and played. You know, you well, they got up and played songs that they did, you know, four shows a night of, at, right? At clubs. Well, we did. You you didn't see all the work behind the yeah. scenes, you know. So but I they thought, were I, I grew incredible. up sort of thinking, oh, I can just be a fun guy that just gets up and plays songs, you know, and then just improvise solos, you know. And uh, of course, getting in the progressive rock thing, it was it was a, well, it was a totally it was a whole other thing, you know. And it took me a while to come out because i was you know coming out of this sort of club mentality into the concert mentality which is different you know yeah but you're really gifted uh improviser and soloist and so it's almost like you you don't have to work at it to play a great solo you kids well, today. <laughs> well, actually, I really do. I realized that I really did. I mean, it's not like, you know, with the with the stuff that we're doing, it's not like you can just, you know, it's not like you're just, you know, uh, playing along to some blues song or something and just, you know what I mean? Like it was in the clubs. It was it was just different. And and uh, and you're the one, man. You're the you're the killer soloist when i listen to the live tapes man your solos are just amazing love well, it you must not have heard the live tapes that, that i did because <laughs> there's some there's some real interesting it's like ah, steve i really love what you were trying to do there <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what was great that sounds like a, something a producer would say remind me of peter collins uh yeah. I remember our conversation, you know, there, there was a lot of discussion as to whether we should have a producer when we first got together. And I remember what you said to me on the phone. You said, I think we should we should have Peter uh, produce us if for no other reason that when the album doesn't turn out the way we want it, we won't turn on each other. We can all blame him. <laughs> Do you remember that? Well, I, no, I don't remember that. But that's that's. The cynical humor part. Yes, <laughs> actually, I've, I've always I've always been in favor of having a producer for for a referee, because right. one of the most, uh, I, I guess one of the worst things that ever happened to me in flying colors was when Mike misunderstood something I said, where where I was trying to be the producer of this section this vocal section, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, you should do it like this. And, and then you guys do this. And then you guys do that. He thought I was telling him to not sing his part because uh, I, I, I just heard this part as a duo. And then, then it came in as a, as a uh, three part later on. And, and, you know, it would, it would have just been, you know, that whole thing could have been avoided 
just just by Peter making some kind of you know slowly carefully worded thing that he would do with some humor in it. Yes. And yeah. He was good at he, that. Yeah, he would talk us into doing stuff that seemed silly but but was was really kind of cool. Yeah, I like the way, you know, it's important if you have a kind of a little bit of butting of the heads as we did. I can't remember the name of the song right now, but the it was on the first album and it has the kind of big progressive thing at the end with the Mellotrons and kind of a slow thing. And I know uh, Peter was rather against it. And Mike and I were really trying to push it through. And we kept kind of arguing with him, you know, like, yeah, this is going to be great. He's like, I don't know. I don't really hear it. And, oh, it's really going to be great. Finally, he goes, okay, make me love it. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's him. Which was a great way to, it, you know, it's a great, if you're going to end a, a battle, so to speak, that's a good way to end it. It made everybody feel good. It made, And it's also like, okay, we're going to really put our hearts into this thing and try to make him get it, you know, and make him yeah. love it. And- excellent. Excellent point. Is that, that's one of, that's one of the hallmarks of great, um, I, people that are great at, motivating yeah you know yeah back and in humor Dale is so Car- great for that Dale carnegie was the guy you know like how do you tell somebody how to improve what they're doing without ma- demeaning them or making them feel bad and how can you do that at the, while at the same time praising them for what they're doing right yeah which motivates them to work harder to please you right it's an art form. Yeah. 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 I like, I was reading in Jeff Emery, uh, uh, Emmerich's book, uh, uh, about working with the Beatles. And I guess Paul didn't like the, didn't think that the first take of the piccolo trumpet on Penny Lane was good enough and wanted the guy to do a second take. And the guy from the Philharmonic didn't want to do a second take. And George Martin basically told Paul that he didn't need to do a second take and they butted heads. And then Paul finally goes on the intercom and says, it's all right, Mr. Mason, I think it was. Mr. Mason, you're released on your own recognizance. <laughs> yeah. Bit of, you know, it's like, it's, it's really good, man. You know, if, if, uh, if you can use humor to alleviate the awkwardness. <laughs> yeah. And it happens. It was, it was a good take. That was a good first take, though. That's a really good first take. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what you hear on the on the, the album. piccolo the piccolo trumpet. You, yeah, thing you're talking about. Yeah, and by the way, Mike could sing that note for note and Portnoy? tell you if you Mike Portnoy could sing the and give you some detail on the piccolo trumpet player's life. Yeah, he probably He's could. Like the, Human storehouse of, of information. Yes. Yeah. He has a, a lot, a lot of knowledge. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess we could start wrapping it up. Um, is there anything that you wanted to talk about in particular or anything going on? What's next, um, man? Well, got a lot of gigs booked. So, yeah, it's going to be, this is, I've never had anything in my life like this where 
you know, we've all switched bands or been out of work for a little while, but never anything like this. Right. It's crazy, so, right? Yeah. I just don't know with all the responsibilities I've taken on, on the place, what it's going to be like, you know, can I get everything ready to, to, to coast for, you know, five, six weeks of a tour followed right. by another tour, followed by another tour, followed by, you know, back when we got together, as when Steve has these two days off, that was like, there's a few days off between tours. Yeah. Kind of right. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what, how this is going to seem or how, you know, where people are going to it, be relaxed enough to, to do like they used to do. I think so. I think people will, will revert back. I think they but will. The, just the, the sudden change of being gone. Right. Um, or is, is, is probably the thing that's most on my mind. Right. But uh, lots of music, lots of music ideas, people, a lot of my friends that are in music business are coming to me with things. Or, Here, listen to this. What do you think about this? Help me write that. And Great. So I've, I've joked around with people. I said, ever since I stopped making money, I'm busier than I've ever been. But it's the truth. <laughs> and it's not just working outside, which I do every day. It's lots of, you know, things to fix and, and uh, cut. In Florida, you have to cut things constantly. Right. Cut right, it's yeah. The jungle. It's the jungle. And uh it's it's doing the music stuff too. There I'm I've I'm just as busy as I've ever been, but I'm home. So it it's gonna it's gonna be a big adjustment for me. Yeah. I think getting getting ready to be a touring musician again. Yes. Yeah. But I want to tell big... everybody that Neil Morris is one of the most amazing writers and and uh players and singers I've ever worked with. Well, thank you. And I've worked with some amazing, absolutely amazing people. You have, that's true. It means a lot coming from you. So I, I'm so impressed with what you've done with your music, with flying colors. And I love the fact that your spiritual Guidance never leaves you, but you're not uh, insisting on on having everything focused on that when you're in a band like Flying Colors. Right. In other words, you're you're showing the way through by example, and and the the lyrics you write, like Carrie would do with his lyrics, they're not super obvious all the time. What 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 you're saying. Right. And, I, and I really like that level of, uh, you know, where you have to dig down a little bit to to see some possible interpretations. And and I like that people can interpret the the lyrics for themselves. Yes. You know, you know what helped yeah. me. What, I, what helped me with that? What I used to, you know, when I first came out of. Uh, Spock's beard and transatlantic back in 2002 and 2003 I really I was tired of veiling it I wanted to just say it you know I wanted to say Jesus I wanted to say what it was I was feeling and that was good but I, I had a conversation uh, with a pastor who said well you know Jesus didn't come out and just tell everybody who he was 
you know, God does veil himself and sometimes it's more intriguing to to tell people for example hey look at this wall there's a door here somewhere there's a door here see if you can find it it's more intriguing cool. than to I go like that. than to just like go that. like hey there's the door you need to walk through it a lot of times that'll cause people to draw back right yeah i like that the, but the most important part is is leading by example everybody in a position of being on a soapbox in any part of the media has a responsibility for in some way they're shaping the culture we live in in other words they're they're influencing it i'm just saying that i think you you've been a contributor and i i wish everybody listening who has a platform whether it's just standing in front of the kids in school or or uh you know, talking to the people on their their team, you know, digging these uh, underground fiber optic lines or or whatever. We have to value each other, value our relationships, and value our our culture, and we're shaping it. I mean, the media as reaches more people than we can, but the people we reach really remember so don't don't take a second of life lightly unless you go if you're making a a, if you're making if you're laughing and and enjoying somebody's company yeah that's that could be light too but i mean when it comes to doing your your work your art just remember we have a responsibility to all others that we may come in contact or who may come in contact with what we're doing yeah. We have a responsibility to, to make it better. Yeah, and be light and love in the world. One of the things that really changed me was um, realizing that music was not the be-all, end-all. That God cared more about people. Music is a wonderful gift, but um, thinking of being together in the room and dealing with music, it used to be... I w- if I thought my idea was better, it was so important to me to get the music right, in my view, that I might just walk all over somebody, and I'm sure I've done that. Um, but what's what's helped me, I think, with some of the things you've talked about, was is really God helping me to let go and realizing that being kind to people is the primary thing. The reason why... I think there's a more important reason for us to be together in the room than just the notes that are happening. It's also us being together and what God is doing with us together. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I, I, and I, I agree. The big picture, it, and I'm talking about big picture too, here is as a young man, uh, I was too too focused on getting the perfection of this part or anybody ask anybody in the dregs uh you know if i was a nice guy at rehearsals <laughs> and but you know through life you learn and and grow that and that's why we should listen to people that 
have experience because right. you know they they've they've gone through this journey of yes i've learned the craft now i need to learn the art of how to apply it and it took me a long time to learn the art of always dealing and valuing people i work with as much or if not more than music. right and yeah yeah that's big, that is something that you i think you learn <laughs> but i'm i'm glad to have learned it and i'm so thankful to have been able to make music with you steve i'm really grateful to the, that the lord same made here. a way for us to be together and and i look forward to our next time together it's always a pleasure same here man you're an amazing artist you're what i said before is is so true you're just you're mr natural with music but even more than that is it you're you have a, a, a bigger vision which i really appreciate and i really appreciate the fact that you let the people breathe and absorb it on their own level to, yeah. to whatever you know yeah. to whatever level they're comfortable with but the digger you the the, the the deeper you dig on your stuff the, the more is there and that's that's something we should all strive for well amen brother <laughs> all right man well god bless you and say hi to the family for me same here don't work too hard take some rv trips oh yeah we will we Pass, have have done it's good good pa good passport america business. man you hipped me to passport america i got it yeah yeah let's do it all right man, we'll see you, man. all right see you later god bless, god bless.